Galatians 5 is where we are. That's where we've been the last couple of weeks as we've been working through this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And if you don't have a Bible handy, there should usually be one on the end of your pew there that you can grab and take hold of. Galatians, of course, is found in the New Testament uh, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and Romans. But before you get to Hebrews, Revelation, and so forth, tucked in there next to Ephesians and Philippians. And this uh, passage, as we turn to it in a moment, is just been, I think, an incredibly refreshing one, hopefully encouraging for all of us to be strengthened as we see the way that the Lord is working in our lives and bearing fruit of His Spirit. And I'll mention again with me being gone the next couple of weeks on helping to lead our Peru mission team, we'll have next week our uh, former assistant pastor, Lanier Wood, will be with us. Uh, He's now an RUF college campus minister down at the University of South Alabama, so he's going to preach uh, on the 14th. And then the 21st, we'll have Tom Franklin, who's here locally at Birmingham Southern College as a a campus minister. So those two uh, gentlemen will be with you all in the next couple of weeks to deliver God's Word. I invite you all to stand with me in recognition of the power, the truth, uh, the wonder of God's Word for our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You may be seated, and let's pray again. Oh, Father, we praise You and thank You for the way that You reveal what it is we need to know about You and about ourselves in Your Word. And we pray that You'd equip us during this time to understand, to believe, to walk, to know Your goodness and to have our lives marked in greater and greater degree by goodness. We pray that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Oscar Wilde's story of Dorian Gray is a remarkable tale, really, about goodness and evil in the world and in our lives individually. At the beginning of the story, if perhaps you're not familiar with it, an artist comes to the handsome-looking Dorian and ask if he can paint his picture. The picture's painted, and this, along with just his own opinion of himself, begins to go quickly to Dorian's head. And Dorian lives his life outside of a tasting and seeing God's goodness, and instead trying to find goodness in everything but walking with the Lord. He runs headlong away from the Lord into sin and to brokenness, seeking fulfillment. The portrait sits there, though, and he doesn't look at it for years and continues to live this type of life. Eventually, though, he uncovers the painting and sees his once lovely countenance that had been portrayed so many years earlier now turning into a hideous face. He takes the painting and buries it in the ground, 
not wanting to ever see it again. But the artist who had originally put together the portrait manages to find it and uncovers it and sees. He comes and confronts Dorian with both the grace and the conviction of the Lord and says to him, quoting the Scriptures, Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Refusing to acknowledge his guilt and receive that gift of grace offered in the Scripture and by this artist messenger, he kills the artist and then turns to the picture, the painting itself, and begins to destroy it, finding that as he does so, he collapses to the ground himself, lying dead. Onlookers come upon him eventually, and now look upon the once handsome, the once beautiful Dorian, and discover that the image that had been on the painting, now as he lies dead, has been transferred Onto him. It's a compelling story about goodness and about evil and about the need for God's grace and God's goodness to be poured out in our lives. And we're going to look this morning at what this means not only for us individually, because there's huge implications to God's call for goodness in our lives individually but also really as a society as well. With it being, of course, Fourth of July week, it's probably particularly appropriate to not only take God's message about goodness and apply it to ourselves as individuals, but to look at how it relates to our society. And I'll quote a few times throughout our message today. You guessed it, I recently read a book that I read years ago by Robbie Zacharias, read parts of it, uh, entitled Deliver Us from Evil. And so you'll see it mentioned in your worship guide. And if you want to follow along in the notes section of your worship guide, you can. That's towards the back as we walk through this passage. Robbie Zacharias talks about the way that really as a society in America, we enjoy collectively some of what Dorian enjoyed as an individual. There's a beauty to the freedoms. There's a beauty to the blessing we enjoy as a society. But Zacharias also notes that our headlines are for us the portrait of a sometimes hideous face of our lives collectively. Zacharias says, and again you can follow in your worship guide if you want to, he says it will not do just to bemoan the reality or condemn the evil. Much more is required of us thinking people, before we can get past the symptoms and diagnose how this has all come about. Behind an act is a thought or a belief. And those thoughts unleashed in antisocial behavior make the headlines. Yet seldom are these thoughts or beliefs scrutinized. When that is done, we, like Oscar Wilde, may find that though we may play with sinister ideas in our imaginations and our artistic escapes, we cannot do the same with life. The ideas we now popularly espouse are reshaping our culture, redefining our destiny, and are at the heart 
of the rampant evil we now witness. They are ideas, therefore, that must be seriously questioned or we'll find ourselves in some remorse-filled future wondering how it all happened. So, what do we learn from this passage about the positive direction we can head? We've kind of diagnosed the negativity of evil. Let's look at the flip side of that coin, the goodness of the Lord. What does it mean for us? How does it shape our lives? How can we be renewed in goodness in our lives through Jesus Christ, through His resurrecting and saving work? Main idea, I think we'll see taking into account this Galatians passage and other passages of Scripture is that because God is the very definition of goodness, we should and we can display the fruit of goodness. One thing we see right off the bat in the Bible is that although it's easy in our culture and also in our own minds to kind of blur the lines between good and bad and maybe even wonder if that's a valid category anymore, that in fact the Bible speaks very directly about things either being good or evil. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You know, it's interesting the last couple of days, I guess 4th of July, with it being rainy, the Peters boys and and myself were kind of camped out inside because we couldn't get out as much. So watching our share of the History Channel. And the History Channel was showing the revolution at one time and uh, the Korean War at another time and World War II and so forth, with it being 4th of July. And it's interesting, my four boys who are all 10 and under, they always have one question. I bet you can guess what it is. Who are the bad guys? Who are the bad guys and who are the good guys? You know, they see the little reenactment on TV and want to know who they are. And we'll all admit, you know, as I tried to explain to them, well, you know, these guys, they used to be the bad guys, but now they're our real good friends. And those guys, you know, used to be the good guys, but now they're kind of the bad guys and we don't get along so well with them anymore. Real life that way sometimes is a bit confusing for us. What a wonderful thing then that God's Word is not confusing. It lays down for us what is good, what's pleasing to God, and also what's evil, what is turning away from Him. Jesus affirms the same in Matthew 5.45 where He just mentions the sun rises on the evil and on the good. The evil and the good. Well, if that's the case then, how do we begin to define and get a hold, not just for our society, but for ourselves individually. We look at God's Word and we say, okay, I want to demonstrate the fruit of goodness. How do I do that? What does it look like? Well, God defines goodness. Walk with me through a couple of these points I've put in your outline. The first is that we see in Scripture that God is the one who made really the whole category of good. You remember in the very early part of Scripture... As he's creating things, he's saying that they're good, that they're good, that they're good. And then he comes to Galatians or Genesis 1, 31, says, God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. So God sets up this category of goodness and defines it. That's the first place for us. The Lord himself, the scriptures tell us, is good. Psalm 34, 8 
says this beautiful invitation to all of us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord himself is goodness for us to enjoy. In John 10 and then also in Psalm 3, we see that God is specifically defined as a good shepherd. And I love that because it reminds us of how he tends and cares for us. Psalm 23 is probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in, in all the world. People know this passage all over the place. You remember what it says as it's being described as salvation is being gathered around at this table. And the psalmist says, Surely goodness and mercy will do what? Will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Boy, as I was getting ready for the message this week, I was excited just to read that passage. Think about the fact that if you're here today and you've put your trust in Christ, you've received His mercy, you're resting in Him, the goodness of the Lord is following with you through your life, now and on into eternity, into that house of the Lord forever. Fourth thing we see is that God works good. Now this is interesting because we live in a world, as I just mentioned a minute ago, where there's brokenness and sin, where we bring brokenness and sin into it. We turn away from the Lord in our actions, our thoughts, and our words. Amazing thing then, that God superintends all of that and is bringing things to His good purpose. Remember that story of Joseph in the book of Genesis? Takes up a good bit of the last part of Genesis. And, you know, it's your, it's your typical leave it to beaver, typical little house on the prairie episode, right? You know, brothers so despising their other brother, their younger brother, who's been given this dream that he's going to rule over in some capacity the other brothers, that they so hate him that they take him and decide to throw him in a ditch. Then they realize, no, we don't want to just kill our brother. We want to make some money off the deal, so let's sell him down into slavery in Egypt. And if you remember any of the story, Joseph goes down there and goes through a series of horrific ups and downs. But amazingly, in God's sovereign working, ends up being the second in command at the greatest uh, empire in the world, essentially, at the time. Along come his brothers, his family, the essential core of the people of God at the time, who are experiencing a huge famine in their land, and they need help they need help from him and he forgives and you remember how he's able to show that goodness he's able to show that goodness because he says what man meant for evil god intended for good that's not an easy thing to believe that's not an easy thing to really live out in a way that we can show the kind of goodness that joseph displayed but if we realize who god is and what he's doing will be strengthened to be able more and more through His power to display that kind of goodness that flows out of God working good. Number five, Scriptures don't just tell us that God made good or God works good or God is good. The Scriptures say He is abundant in His goodness. He's kind of overflowing with goodness. How abundant is your goodness, Psalm 31, 19 says. And then... We're told in Hebrews 5 that God's Word itself is good. 
And we'll wrap up our survey of God's goodness there. There's a lot more that could be said about it. But this last point, you know what the word gospel means? The gospel, that central core message that we're far worse off than we ever realized, but God loves us in Christ far more than we ever dreamed. Gospel just means good news. The very message of Christ is good, is good. So where do we stand on goodness? Well, Romans 3 has some real entertaining things to say. If you want to flip over there with me, you can. If not, I'll read it to you. The Apostle Paul has here just gone through a tour de force in Romans chapter 1 and 2 of describing how not only those who run into all sorts of debauchery and pagan worship and idol worship and uh, activities of disobedience that are obvious and clear, not only are they uh, in and of themselves lost, hopeless, in need of Christ, but the good, upstanding, moral people are because they too commit the same acts, at least in their minds and in their hearts. And then he goes on to say, hey, guess what? Even those who are the religious folks who show up at church on Sunday and maybe come to a Bible study, maybe serve with a church project, also in and of ourselves are completely lost. It goes as far as to say in Romans chapter 3, quoting the Old Testament, as it is written, verse 10, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Pretty big problem, right? If we're supposed to be living out a life of goodness and we don't even seek God or do any good in and of ourselves, what should we do about that? And it's one that plagues our society. I quote Ravi Zacharias again. He talks about Francis Schaeffer, another author, theologian like Zacharias, but, Zach, but Schaeffer lived a number of years ago, several decades ago, and apparently said that our culture is a culture with its feet firmly planted in midair. I like what Zacharias said. He said, things have changed since then. Our feet are now firmly planted on a field of ideas mined with explosive theories that have been proven to be devastating. Even uncertainty is preferable to wrong-headed confidence. Think about that for a little bit. Think about that. Not just for our society, but for our own lives. Places where we're putting wrong-headed confidence. Well, here's the good news. If we read on in Romans, and you don't need to turn there, but in Romans 23, uh, verse 21, things turn a corner. A huge corner. And Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Where do we get goodness? How do we begin to see lives that are bearing fruit in goodness? It comes through Jesus, through His righteousness, being credited to our account first and foremost, so that we stand righteous before God, we stand good before Him. And then through His power working in us so that we begin to live for Him and for His ways. We orient our life to the Word of God as the standard of goodness. We see that we can only receive goodness by grace. And we pray for the Holy Spirit. And then we'll begin to see what Ephesians 2.10 says. It says, we are God's workmanship. Created 
For what? For good works in Christ Jesus. You ever think about that? What an amazing thing that God, when He works in our lives and saves us, draws us to Him, allows us to see joy and hope and salvation, He's got a plan for us. I look at it this way, and I forget about it often as well, but when I wake up in the morning, when you wake up in the morning, there's good things that God has prepared for you and I to do that day. That's a start for us as we look at the last item for us today, and I'll try to wrap up quickly. I know it's warm in here. What does it look like to exhibit this goodness? What does it look like for it to actually be flowing out of us, for actually be growing out of us as a fruit? It's got to start, number one, with just thinking about some of the stuff that I've talked about today, about who God is, about who He is in His goodness, meditating on the Scriptures, meditating on His goodness that we see around us in the world. That's going to begin to work in our lives. And it's like that old question, you know, how do they train the old uh, Secret Service guys who are involved in tracking down Confederate or money that's been produced? What is that word? Help me. Counterfeit. Counterfeit. Back in Confederate. What am I doing? The History Channel got in my mind. The History Channel got in my mind. So that is an interesting question to Peter's family with my wife from the South and me from the North when the boys asked who was the good guys in that whole encounter. But anyway, that's another topic. <laughs> counterfeit money. How do they track counterfeit money? The way they do it is they look intently and continue to look and look each day at the real thing. And then they're able to see the counterfeit. How do we see our lives move away from the evil that is not just working in the world outside of us, but in our own hearts and souls? Begin to look at the the real thing, the true thing. We'll see it. Meditate upon it. Aspire to live with goodness. The passage about the fruit of the Spirit is absolutely a challenge, an invitation, a call to say, I want to try to live in a way that is good. That sounds so simple, but, you know, it's kind of like uh, last week, Sam did a great job sharing with us about kindness. We sort of forget, okay, this is, I've got to actively try to be kind. Otherwise, I'm probably not going to be. We need to actively seek to be good. That's part of glorifying God with our lives. Romans 12 tells us, again, the Apostle Paul has this whole book of Romans, telling about what Christ has done, telling about His salvation. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then he gives us a map. How are you going to do this? How is that going to work? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you'll discern what is the will of God, what is good acceptable, and perfect. That's how we do it. He says in the last part of that chapter, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You're not going to do that unless we have some intentionality about it. So we're to aspire to do that. Third thing, affirm goodness when we see it around us. This is a tough one for us. Because if we're reading our Bible and understanding what it says, we realize, you know, the Dorian Gray picture is pretty doggone close. It's closer to home than we'd like to admit. And if that's true for us, then we sort of want to correct our society and always want to help people see, you know, 
there's, there's this thing called sin, and we're really not that good of people, and you need to be diagnosed with your condition before you can receive the healing cure of Jesus Christ. And in all of that, we can sometimes forget that there are good things in the world, and this is God's world. And so all of it is, of course, tainted with brokenness and sin, but there's a lot of things that God is doing that are good, that are beautiful, that might be believers involved with them and might be folks that don't even know Christ, that they're still good working in the world. That means if a coworker does a good job on something, it's great to affirm that. That's something good that they have done and bless the company or bless the team they're working on at work. If there's good art or music or athletics or photography or cooking or landscaping or you name it that we see goodness in, I'd affirm that. That's from God. It comes from His hands. It's good. The actions that people take. We see somebody caring for somebody in need and and recognize that. That's good. And we ought to celebrate that. If folks are perhaps standing up for truth or making a sacrificial gift to give to the things of the kingdom of God, those are good things. And we ought to encourage that and affirm it. Elsewhere in the Scriptures, uh, Paul reminds us just after our passage in Galatians that we should not grow weary in doing well. We shouldn't grow weary in doing well. And we're going to be prone to do that because we live in a world where goodness is not always recognized as such. If you and I stand up and say, I believe in Christ, I believe He's essential, knowing Him is essential to salvation... And, and what the Scriptures say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's a message that has great hope. It, it is the, the greatest message, and yet the world is not always going to see it that way. It's good, but it's not going to be seen as good when we proclaim it. When believers call out for evils in the world to be ended, whether it's human trafficking, whether it's the taking of the unborn life, whether it's the redefining of marriage as something other than a man and a woman together, any of those things, the world is going to say, what you're saying sounds evil to us. It doesn't sound good, even though God's Word proclaims that those things are good and right for us. So we affirm what is good. I've already talked, number four, about the fact that we should recognize what is evil, but I'll quote Zacharias one more time. And he mentions the fact that shame, he says, is the moral health, is to the moral health of a society what pain is to the body. It's the sense of shame that provides an indicator to the mind. Now, for the believer, we, we don't just sit in shame when we recognize we've turned away from the Lord in a particular area in our mind or thoughts or actions. We receive grace and we're reminded of our high calling and status and the love he has for us. But shame is still needed. It's needed for us. It's needed for the world around us because that's what reminds us that we need to come to the worship service and confess and acknowledge. It's that feeling of shame, that contrast between goodness and evil. Micah 6.8 seems like a good passage for us to conclude with and then one story. Micah 6.8, He has shown me, O man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what's good.
It's interesting. It may be that in our propensity as individuals and as a society to look around everywhere else for a solution to our problems, to our needs in life, we can easily miss the goodness of God that's right before us. The story is told of a wealthy man traveling and a thief that comes along and realizes this man's wealth and offers to join with him in his journey with, of course, one agenda in mind. But the wealthy man is pretty wise and sharp. And so each evening before they are laying down to bed on their journey, he tells the thief to go wash up first in the other room. And while the thief is washing up, the wealthy man takes all his jewels and possessions and tucks them in a little bag and puts them under the thief's own pillow. Then they switch turns and the wealthy man goes to wash up and you can imagine each night what the thief does, frantically looking around the room trying to find where these things are to see if he can steal them. They get to the end of the week, the end of their journey, and the rich man informs the thief, I knew what you were doing, so I put them right in the last place I thought you would look, right under your own pillow. People, we have in the Lord and in the heritage that we have in the church and in the kingdom of God throughout the centuries and in His Word right before us the outlay, the plan, the message of God's goodness to humanity and how that can work goodness in our lives. Let's not be running all over the place looking for something that's right here before us. And let's take what's right here before us and extend it to a world that desperately needs to know and experience the goodness of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise You that You are good. And we ask today that You'd give us a greater and greater hunger to taste and see that You, Lord, are good. And that that goodness would be poured out in our lives, that we'd be people marked by goodness and folks around us would see good deeds in our life and be drawn to praise you our father in heaven father we thank you for being our teacher for being with us today and we pray all this in jesus name amen